twilight, these sisters discuss the paranormal and the unnerving. They are known as the Parasisters. Hi guys, I'm Rebecca. And I'm Tristan. And we together are the Parasisters, or a pair of sisters. <laughs> I'm a dork. Yes, we are. Okay. <laughs> I like how we laugh at my own jokes. It makes me feel good. Who doesn't, lo- who doesn't love a good pun? I love plays on words. I also do. I love puns. I'm not very good at them, but I love that. <laughs> I appreciate when other people right. make them. I'm not good at them. <laughs> me either. I'm not witty enough to, me make too. It, to make puns. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are back again with another episode, and um, Tristan, I just want to remind people about um, our last episode, which is Doppelgangers, which will be coming out before this episode, I decided, and um, it was so good. (laughs) I just decided that spur of the moment because I mentioned it, and I'm like, well, I can't mention it, and it come out after this video, so... Yeah, so, right. <laughs> um, but it was so good, and if y'all haven't watched that, you should go and watch it, and prepare to be spooked the f out. So yeah, Tristan, for sure, spooked me out. I'm gonna tell you a just really quick story. So I was making dinner, and um, the Andrew and Calum were outside flying a drone, and I went into the bathroom to do something, and I, I paused to look <laughs> in the mirror. <laughs> Because I told you, I look in the mirror every single time I go to the bathroom. And then I'm like, oh my God, why am I looking in the mirror? <laughs> and I I legitimately got like super freaked out. And for the people that don't know right. what, we're, what we're talking about, you should watch the doppelganger video because then you'll know. But <laughs> like, I was legitimately scared. So I like ran into the kitchen and I'm like standing there and I'm like, oh my God. And then I was hearing noises in the laundry room behind me and I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, I freaked myself out. <laughs> I told you I was scared for like four days, man. Yeah, I four could, I, freaking days. I have to try not to think about it because it's really, it's too, it's too creepy for me, especially at night. So, um, yes, the next, the next case we're going to talk about is not creepy in that way. Um, it might, it's, it's weird. It actually has a little bit of a tone of the Dietlov Pass case, which we did two episodes ago, so go and watch that also. And um, as I'm telling you, you'll kind of see why. Um, it's it's a mystery, and it's been a mystery for nearly 150 years. They don't they don't know. So I'm just gonna tell yeah, you. I like it already. I'm gonna tell you that we are gonna talk about the case of the Mary Celeste, and um, so this is a ship. And so the keel of the future Mary Celeste, because it was not always called the Mary Celeste, was laid in late 1860 at a shipyard of Josh, Joshua Dewis in the village of Spencer's Island, which is um, on the shores of the Bay of Fundy in Nova Scotia, Canada. Um, so it was built, it was launched on May 18th, 1861, and given the name Amazon. I'm not sure why they named Ooh. it that. It's a weird name, but <laughs> and um, so it was registered at nearby Paresboro on June 10th, 1861, and her registration documents described her as being 99.3 feet long, 
25.5 feet broad with a depth of 11.7 feet. And she had a gross tonnage of 198.42. So. Not a huge ship. No, it was a, so it's a brigantine. And so they're not huge. I think they're only four masts, I think. I'm not a ship expert. I should have looked it up. I did look it up, but I should have remembered better. <laughs> it's not. It's not a huge ship. It's it's small and it's fast. It's that. I think that's what it is. It's it's supposed it was to be built for speed. Yeah. So it's a cargo ship and it's meant to get there quickly. So um. Sorry, I just realized that you are the main screen, <laughs> not me. So, okay. I don't know if I'm gonna cut that. We'll see what happens. <laughs> See how lazy I feel. Okay. So um, her maiden voyage was June 1861. And the Amazon sailed to five islands, which is also in Nova Scotia. And she took on cargo of timber for a passage across the Atlantic to London. Um, And this, it's kind of weird how this actually, so the original captain of the ship got ill right before the trip to London and he couldn't go. And he actually ended up dying later, which is really sad, but they got, they got a new captain and I don't know if this guy is just incompetent or what, but like once they get to London, they're in the English channel and they actually run into and sink a brig, another ship in the English channel. They sink it. Um, so I don't, maybe this whole ship was, I don't know if it was just doomed from the beginning. I have no idea. (laughs) So, um, in October, 1867, it was driven ashore. The Amazon was driven ashore in Cape Breton Island. Um, and it was abandoned as a wreck. And October 15th, uh, she was acquired as a derelict by Alexander McBean of Glass Bay, I think it's glass. It's G-L-A-C-E. Bay, Nova Scotia. And pretty much within a month, McBean had sold the wreck to a local businessman who in November 1868 sold it to Richard Haynes, who was an American mariner from New York. And Haynes paid, um, I don't know if this is a lot or not back then, but $1,750 for the wreck. And then he spent $8,825 restoring it. So, um, I don't know if that's, if that's a lot or not. I don't know. (laughs) It seems like it's not, but. What, what year was it? It was 1868. So. Yes, that was quite a bit of money. Yeah, I think it is. Most people didn't make that in 10 years. I think that's, it's like in nowadays, if you you could buy a ship for $1,000 and then refurbish the whole thing for less than 10, like. That'd be super cheap, I think. <laughs> so, um, yes. So that year, she was registered with the Collector of Customs in New York as an American vessel under the new name, the Mary Celeste. So in October 1869, I don't even know that this guy actually ever got any kind of a a trips done or if he did anything with the ship before it was seized by creditors and sold to a New York consortium where, um, again, there's very little record of its activities during this whole entire period from like 1868 to 1872. Um, so early 1872, the ship undergoes, um, a major 
refit, which cost $10,000. And um, so doing that, they enlarged it considerably. So it increased to 103 feet, um, her breadth to 25.7 feet, and her depth to 16.2 feet. And among the structural changes, a second deck was added, and inspector's um, report refers to extensions to the the poop deck and new transoms, which these are all um, boat building terms or boat terms that I'm not extremely familiar with. But I will tell you that I know that the poop deck is the deck that's right above a cabin. So obviously, like the captain's cabin, if there's a deck above it, that would be the poop deck. Oh, okay. And they replaced timbers and stuff, and then so it increased the ship's tonnage to 282.2, and the new owner, well, he was four-twelfths of an owner, (laughs) and his name was Benjamin Spooner Briggs, and he became the captain of the Mary Celeste. So, this is when the fateful trip happens. On October 20th, Briggs arrives in um, New York on to Pier 50 on the East River. And um, he's there to supervise the loading of the ship's cargo. And he's waiting for his wife and his baby daughter. They come, they're going to go on the trip with him. And so um, he's waiting. And they, so they load a cargo of 1,701 barrels of dentured, sorry, denatured alcohol, which is... I think it's an industrial alcohol that they use for something, but I'm not quite sure what. But they apparently add things to it so that you can't drink it. Like, it'll make you really sick if you drink it. Okay. okay. And that actually comes into play a little la- a little later. So. <laughs> um, so he's supervising the load, and eventually his wife and his baby daughter, Sophie, I think her name was, and she was only two... Um, join him and they actually had a six-year-old son who stayed behind with his grandmother to finish going to school and um so everybody's there and on sunday november 3rd um brig writes a letter to his mother to say that he intended to leave on tuesday and adding that quotes our vessel is in beautiful trim and i hope we shall have a fine passage So on Tuesday morning, um, I think this is like the 7th of November or something like that, Mary Celeste left Pier 50 with Briggs, his wife, his daughter, and seven crew members, which were the first mate, Albert G. Richardson. And um, he was married to the niece of one of the owners of the the ship. Um, The second mate was Andrew Gilling. He was 25, and he was born in New York, and he was of Danish extraction, which I think means descent i'm not quite sure i don't know about their language um this the steward was um edward william head and um the fourth general seaman the four not fourth the four general seaman were all germans from the frisian islands and the brothers were volkart and bose lorenzen arian Mor- martins and gottlieb I'm so sorry. Godshall? You would think being German, I would know how to pronounce these a little bit better. But I don't. So, okay. It's hard. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Okay, so the weather was not very good. And they decided, the captain decided that he's going to wait for a few days to, to have the weather clear up. And so he anchored just off of Staten Island. Um, and 
Sarah actually sends a letter to her mother-in-law and she, this is what she says to tell her son, whose name was Arthur. She said, tell Arthur, I make great dependence on the letters I shall get from him. And I will try to remember anything that happens on the voyage, which he would be pleased to hear, which I think is really sad considering she never sees him again, obviously. It's very, very sad. It's super sad. But then I'm like, at least someone from the family, like, survived. As sad as that is. Because, like, they had a they had a two-year-old with them, which is, like, awful. But... Right. I don't know. It's, it's sad. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, and then, so that day, the Mary Celeste leaves the harbor and enters the Atlantic. Mm. So, as... The Mary Celeste is preparing to leave. The Canadian brigantine, the De Grata, um, was nearby in Hoboken, New Jersey, waiting for cargo of petroleum that they were going to take to Genoa via Gibraltar. And the captain of that ship was David Morehouse. And so it's weird because they, this ship is actually the ship that finds the Mary Celeste, which is very strange. And that also comes into play a little bit later. Um, so the first mate was Oliver DeVoe, and they were both Nova Scotians and both highly experienced and respected seamen. Um, Captain Briggs and Morehouse had common interests, and they, they probably knew each other, even if, if it's just in passing. Although, again, this is pertinent later, but some people claim that they were actually really good friends, like super good friends. And that they had even yeah. had had dinner together the night before they um, the Mary Celeste departs. Um, there's really no evidence of that, but Morehouse's widow does remember that that happened. So I don't know how much that says, but <laughs> um, right. so hmm. I think it's seven or eight days after the Mary Celeste she departs, and then the De Grata departed for Gibraltar on November fifteenth. And she took the exact same route, pretty much, as the Mary Celeste. So I guess it's not surprising what happened, since it was the same route. But <laughs> um, So at 1 p.m. on Wednesday, December 4th, 1872, which is land time, apparently the sea time is Thursday, December 5th, um, the De, De Grata had meet, reached um, midway between the Azores, which are an island chain off of um, Portugal. So they get between the Azores and the coast of Portugal, and Captain Morehouse comes out on deck, and um, his helmsman reported seeing a vessel six miles away, which it seems so far, but I guess if you're on the ocean, it's not very far i don't know but right there's nothing to obstruct your view so that's true but right and it's fairly it's flat i'm like even if it's like rolling waves or something i don't know it's flat so um right so they see this this vessel heading unsteadily towards the degrada and the ship's erratic movements and odd set of her sails kind of make them think that something weird is going on with it you know right so as the vessel gets closer they see that nobody is on the deck like steering or whatever they do to boats i'm not really sure (laughs) 
if you can steer a boat. There's nobody at the helm. Yeah, there's yeah. there's nobody there um, on deck, and nobody has replied to any of the signals that they've sent up. Um, so he decides to send his first mate, Devereaux, and his second mate, John Wright, to the ship um, to investigate what's going on. So these two get on the ship, and they see right away that everything looks completely normal, to be honest. Like, nothing is... Amiss. Yeah, it's regular. like... Right, everything is fairly well ordered, except for it's really wet. It's There's a lot of wetness. Um, the sails were partly set and in poor condition, and some were missing altogether. And much of the rigging was damaged, and it had, like, ropes hanging loosely just over the side. And I think that was, like, the extent of the damage, like, to the sail. It was mainly to the sails. Um, but they, I get they had a storm. Right, a storm or something like that. Like, I don't know, but it's <laughs> so... That's this, weird. Yeah, it's really weird. So the sails... Oh, I already said that, sorry. <laughs> the main hatch, um, they noticed, was secure. So the hatch was cover. The cover was on and it was secured. And, um, so the four and the lazarette hatches were open. And I did some research and the lazarette specifically is, um, it's like a little storage, like cubicle, like in the deck of the ship. And you would like store gear there and stuff like that. But that was actually, it was open and it had like their covers were off on the side of the deck. Um, so the ship had a single lifeboat and it's called a yawl. Yawl, which is a weird word. Um, which is a two, it's a two mass. It's like a little two mass um, sailing ship. It's really tiny. It's not, it's not very big okay. at all. Um, and it had been stowed across the main hatch and it was actually missing. And, um, so the binnacle, which is the thing, I'm sure you've seen it on ships. It's where they keep the compass basically. And it's like a, a piece of wood or metal, depending on, I'm sure on when the ship was built and it holds the compass underneath like a piece of glass. Well, that was actually broken and the, and had been shifted from the place that it was like on the deck. And um, they found about three and a half feet of water in the hold, which is, uh, it's quite a bit of water, but apparently for the size of the ship, it wasn't anything that would have been detrimental at all. Like three and a half feet is is nothing, basically. Okay. So they found a makeshift sounding rod, which is a device that they use to measure water in the hold, because obviously the hold is full of a thousand barrels of this alcohol. And they um, couldn't go down there to check how much water. So they had, like, it's, it's called a sounding rod. And um, so that was found abandoned on the deck. It was just, like, hanging out on the deck. And then, so they found the ship's daily log. Obviously, daily, meaning they wrote in it every single day. <laughs> and it was in the, the, mate, the first mate's captain. And it had the final entry dated 8... AM on November 25th, which was nine days before the ship was found. And it recorded that the Mary Celeste position was, um, near the Santa Maria Island in the Azores, which is nearly 400 nautical miles from the point where the De Grada actually encountered the ship. 
So the 25th, they had come up to the island. And then eight days later, they were four the ship was 400 nautical miles away from that same island. How odd. How, does it say how long it would actually take to get to the island from the position they were found in? Uh, it never did. I, I'm sure I could look that up. I didn't think to, honestly. <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll update it in our next video. Yeah, cuz it does Cuz like, I'm just curious. That's like a long way, but it is 8 days, so I'm like they talk about that a little later too during the salvage trial cuz they had a okay. they had a salvage trial for this this ship. Um so they found that there was plenty of food in the stores and that all of the belongings of the 10 people on board were left on board. Nothing was taken at all, except for um, the captain's navigational instruments and the small lifeboat, the yawl. And this kind of led to the conclusion that they left the ship on their own. They're like, obviously it wasn't pirates or anything like that. You know, they didn't, they, right. right. They weren't boarded and, well, they could, I guess they could have been boarded, but if somebody boarded them, they didn't take any of their belongings also, you know, with them. And they didn't take anything and they didn't tear up the ship because usually pirates will tear up the ship. Well, tear it up like, or, for goods. or keep it for themselves, right? Steal they would, it. Right. right. They, they would have it for themselves. Yeah. This ship was found floating by itself in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, basically. like And pretty much in an orderly fashion well i'm mean, like it was obviously in good enough condition that it was still floating it wasn't you know it wasn't like it was sinking and they found it or something you know like it it was it still, was still seafaring right it was it, still a, a viable ship so i i don't know um so the crew of the de grata sailed the ship 600 nautical miles to gibraltar which um back in that time period under maritime law um a salver could expect a substantial share of the combined value of the rescued vessel and the cargo that's in the vessel um, and the exact award depends on the degree of danger inherent in the salvaging so it's really how difficult it was to salvage is how much money you get from it so the degrada reaches okay. Gibraltar on December 12th and the Mary Celeste um, took a little bit longer because it obviously had some issues with the sails and the masts that they had to fix out, fix up. And there was three feet of water in the bottom of it. Oh, and yeah, and apparently it encountered fog, so it didn't arrive till the following day. And as okay. soon as it came, it was immediately impounded by the Vice Admira Admiralty Court to prepare for salvage hearings. And so at, in this time, I guess the crew of the... Um, the De Grata had to like hang out and wait. So Devereaux wrote to his wife that the ordeal of bringing in the ship was such that, and this is quotes, I can hardly tell what I am made of, but I do not care so long as I get in safe. I shall be well paid for the Mary Celeste. And this is what he wrote. And I think this kind of adds to like the suspicion that went around um, the crew of the De Grata, which I'm not sure is founded or not, but <laughs> um, so December 17th, the salvage hearing begins, and the hearing was conducted by a man named Frederick Solly Flood, and he was the Attorney General of Gibraltar, and he came to the conclusion that there was foul play somewhere and that alcohol was at the bottom of it. 
I don't, I don't know if he thinks that it was people trying to steal the alcohol, which was the cargo, you know, or, or what, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, on December 23rd, there was an examination of the Mary Celeste ordered, which was carried out by a man named John Austin. And he was a surveyor of shipping with the, and he was assisted by a diver and his name is Ricardo Portuanto. Portunato? Portunato? I don't know. <laughs> Austin noted cuts on each side of the bow, and he thought they were caused by a sharp in instrument. And it's possible that he found traces of blood on the captain's sword. And I didn't mention it before, but when they did a, like a search of the ship, the De Grada crew, they found the captain's sword in its sh like sheath or scabbard underneath like his bunk. And, um, but they thought when they did this second search of it, they thought that they found blood on the, on the sword. Of course, yeah. I don't. <laughs> so it's really weird because the, the attorney general made notes of like the last like five or six days of Mary Celeste's, um, log. And then the log was destroyed. <laughs> I was Why? so I don't know. He he determined that nothing before five or six days prior to the the um November twenty fifth was pertinent information, so they just didn't care about it, I guess. So I, I care. I just want to see the damn log. That's what I thought. I'm like, why are they destroying this? Like th it could literally say something in there that someone would recognize as an issue, you know what I mean? Like exactly. <laughs> so, um, so this Austin guy's report emphasized that this ship did not appear to have been struck by heavy weather. So, um, a storm was ruled out. Um, and he cited a vial of sewing machine oil that was found upright in its place, which they did point out that, um, it seems awfully weird that they didn't even question the fact that the vial might have been picked up at some point and put back in its place. You know what I mean? Right. Like when the guys from the other ship went on there. And... Right. So no one acknowledged it and nobody really asked about it. Like the court did not even question that at all. How odd. So the divers report on the hull concluded that the ship had not been involved in a collision or run aground and a further inspection by a group of Royal Navy captains endorsed Austin's opinion that the cuts on the bow had been caused deliberately. And they also discovered what they thought to be blood stains on the rail. Um, and then also deep marks that were possibly caused by an ax. So what the heck? I don't know. It's so weird, right? Where <laughs> so, did the water come from in the hole? I don't know. I'm not sure. So, <clears throat> right, a storm maybe that didn't really do any damage, but somehow just rained a lot. Well, yeah, but they they do say that like I don't know. It's one of the theories that maybe I'll I'll wait to talk about because the water okay. is like it's really weird. Because they kind of use that as like an excuse why these 10 people would have left the ship. So um, the findings that these all these naval experienced guys found strengthened flood suspicion 
that human wrongdoing rather than natural disaster lay behind the mystery. So on January 22nd, 1873, he sent the reports to the Board of Trade in London, adding his own conclusion that the crew of the Mary Celeste had gotten into the alcohol. He ignored its non-probability, so it wasn't drinkable alcohol. But there were, um, there were a thousand casks and a thousand seven hundred or something, and nine of them were actually empty. Um, so I, what happened to them, I'm not really sure, but. Did they drink it and start tripping balls? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure if it would, like, kill you or not, but. Um, but apparently it's, I read something else that they had pointed out that the alcohol, some of the, the nine missing bar- or the empty barrels were made of a different type of oak. I think it was white oak compared to red oak. And apparently white oak is more porous and I might have those backwards. It might be red versus white, but one of them right. is more porous. And they're thinking that those nine barrels actually might've leaked out of there as opposed oh, okay. to, as opposed to the crew drank nine barrels of non potable alcohol. <laughs> but In what, like 30 days? That's a lot of alcohol to begin that with. Would be, even if they're little tiny barrels, you know, cause, like the, cause they're, a thousand barrels is a lot. So I don't think they're huge barrels, right. but I don't know. <laughs> so they think the crew got into the alcohol, murdered the Briggs family and the ship's officers. And they're talking about the four Germans, by the way. Um, they murdered the officers, murdered the family in a drunken frenzy. And then they had cut the bow, the bow, the, oh, it's bows. I was saying bows. Sorry. The bows to simulate a collision and then fled in the yawl to suffer an unknown fate. Um, so Flood also thought that Morehouse, which is the captain of the, um, De Grata, and his crew were hiding something. They, like, they specifically thought that the Mary Celeste had been abandoned in a more easternly location and that the log was doctored to make it look like it was found in this place, even though he's saying that it wasn't. And he also could not accept the fact that the Mary Celeste could have traveled so far while unmanned. So again, we bring up the 400 nautical miles from, from uh, Santa Maria, I think it was, which, I mean, it's a long way. But And also, we have to remember that the ship's sails and masts were damaged. So could it go 400 miles? I don't know. I did read that they did like a weather report from back then, which apparently the weather reports that they used date back like starting 18 or 1784 or something like that. So they did keep weather reports and the weather report said that it is plausible or possible that it could have happened. And they're not saying it did, but that the ship went 400 nautical miles by itself. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Again, I'm not um, an expert on ships and boats, so. I am also not, but this case is very intriguing to me because I don't know what the hell happened here. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's weird because it's obvious that somebody at some point used the lifeboat. They literally cannot figure out why 10 people would leave a perfectly fine ship to get onto a lifeboat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. 
they cannot figure it out. <laughs> That's the mystery of this whole maybe, thing. Like, maybe somebody got on the ship, killed everybody on the ship, cut the lifeboat off to make it look like somebody escaped mm. or got off the ship. And I don't know. It's it's odd because they didn't take anything. Yeah, nothing was taken. So some of the belongings of the people that um, were on board were apparently quite valuable. I mean, we're talking about a woman, first of all, and her baby. So obviously there probably was jewelry of some sort. And they're going, I mean, they're going overseas, so they probably had quite a bit of stuff with them anyway. Right. So I don't know. So really nothing could be substantiated and the ship was released um to the owners on february 25th and a salvage fee of just 1700 dollars, which was a fifth of the total value of the ship and cargo um was paid out and the crew of the degrada was really forever suspected as being involved in some way with what happened to the to the Maria Celeste, the Mar- sorry, the Mary Celeste, <laughs> they renamed it the Maria Celeste, which is hilarious. Um, so the evidence in Gibraltar failed to support Flood's theory of murder and conspiracy. Yet it really the suspicion lingered that some kind of foul play happened. Um, Flood and the the Attorney General, he and some newspaper reports briefly suspected that insurance fraud was part of um winchester who is one of the he's the majority owner of the ship um on the basis that the mary celeste had been heavily over insured apparently and i think i think it's i think the insurance was like forty thousand dollars um back then which was a shit even now that's a shit ton of money (laughs) like for real right so winchester was able to refute these allegations even though i have not found i couldn't find anything about how he was able to refute them and people just believed it (laughs) like i don't know so i guess that is what it is right um and no inquiry was instituted by the insurance company that issued the policy so obviously they didn't have a problem with it um so we go all the way to 1931. An article in the Quarterly Review suggested that Morehouse could have lain in wait. So this is the a, a, new, a newspaper's theory of what happened. So they think Morehouse laid in wait for the Mary Celeste and lured Briggs, Briggs and his crew aboard the De Grada and killed them. <laughs> Which is insane. And so Paul Begg argued this guy. He argues that the theory ignores the fact that the De Grata was the slower ship and the fact that it left New York eight days after the Mary Celeste. Right. <laughs> Which obviously does. They would have never caught up. Yeah. Yeah, never, no. Um, and it uh, and it obviously would have ne- right, like we said, never caught up with the Mary Celeste before she reached Gibraltar. And then, so another theory um, says that Briggs and Morehouse were partners in a conspiracy to share the salvage proceeding, pro, proceeds. I don't know why it says proceedings. That's weird. The the unsubstantiated friendship between the two, the, where I said that they had dinner together the night before the Mary Celeste sailed, um, has been used as a, a proof that they were in league together to salvage the ship for the money which doesn't really make sense honestly because um Briggs 
the Briggs would have gotten so much more as being the captain of this ship than the $1,700 salvage fee. Well, right. Like, he would have ruined his whole entire life and his career for nothing, really. Right. And then they also bring up the fact that they... I guess I'll just go into it, because... So it's commented that if Morehouse and Briggs had been planning such a scam, they would not have devised such an attention-drawing mystery. And that's like... I agree. That's like direct quotes. And um, it also asks why Briggs would have left his, his young son, Arthur, behind if he intended to never, ever come back. Um, right. Which even back then, you couldn't really live on... I mean, let's just say they were thinking of getting, I don't know, the whole 40000 Like, let's just say that was the salvage fee, you know? I mean, maybe you could have lived on $20,000, but then your crew would have been involved, and the other crew from the other ship would have been involved. You would have had to pay everybody off. I'm like... <laughs> That's a lot of hands in the pie, man. Yeah, That's exactly. Right, even if it were $40,000, I'm like, which it wouldn't have been, but... So another theory suggests that it was an attack by Riffian pirates who were active off the coast of Morocco in the 1870s. But of course, like we talked about, if it were pirates, um, they would have, if not taken the whole entire ship, they would have definitely looted the ship. And like I said, nothing was even disturbed. So nothing was taken and nothing was disturbed. So... (laughs) And this is actually where it gets a little bit more wild in their theories. So someone in 1925, a historian, John Gilbert Lockhart, surmised. So this isn't even like a theory. He just is saying that this is what it this is what happened. (laughs) He surmised that Briggs slaughtered everybody on board and then killed himself in a fit. And I'm not even joking that it said this of religious mania. What? I don't even know what that means. Why? In religion, it was religious mania, Tristan. Y'all know that, that happens. A maniac. What the hell is he even talking about? <laughs> Which it was funny because he actually retracted that, and he ended up apologizing to Briggs's descendants, and then he had to withdraw this theory of his from his book because it was. It was just Good, he should have. It's it was ridiculous. just so offensive. I mean, he killed his whole, he killed his family and all his crew, and then he offed himself, which doesn't actually even make sense if you think about it. Because unless he threw himself overboard after throwing nine other people off the ship, like where would they all be? You know what I mean? Like, where is the blood? We just throw him off the ship. Not one of these people who are experienced seamen yeah. knew how to swim. Right, like, he, where's the blood? Where's the... The struggle, right. He would have had an easy time with, of course, his wife and his daughter. But then, like, all the crewmen, like, I don't... That's so ridiculous that he would even write that in a book, honestly. I'm just like... Right. That doesn't make any sense because, like, no. the, like you said, the crewmen, like, they... It takes a lot of strength to yeah. pull them sails up. So, yes. by most accounts, these guys are probably pretty damn burly. Yeah, they're strong. They're young. They're they're in shape you know they're not gonna well, she, you got four germans and we come from good german stock so we know how That's big right. germans can be we're, we're strong people right. <laughs> so um so in another in cobb his name's cobb 
his his view was that the transfer of personal personnel to the y'all may have been intended as a temporary safety measure. Um, he suspected that from Devereaux's report on the state of the rigging and the ropes, that the main the ship's main halyard halyard may have been used to attach the y'all to the ship. So obviously the people got on the ship and then they attached the lifeboat to the ship, um, which would have obviously enabled the company to return on board when the danger had passed, even right. though they're not very specific on what danger would have caused these people to launch a lifeboat and then get on the lifeboat. Um, <laughs> and then now sail the lifeboat away because where are they? <laughs> well, right. So um, the Mary Celeste would have had... To- would have sailed away empty if the line had parted, leaving the yaw adrift with the, with its occupants, obviously. Um, and Beg notes how illogical it would be to attach the yaw to a vessel that the crew um, thought had an issue. So if they thought it was going to sink. So that was like one of the major theories is that they saw the water or they miscalculated the water using their rod that was found on, on, on deck, you know, and they thought there was more water in the hold than there really was and thought the ship was sinking. So they got off of the ship. But of course that goes back to why would they attach their lifeboat to a sinking ship? You know what I mean? Like, right. That doesn't make sense. And then there was another, maybe, maybe I should not get ahead of myself. (laughs) So, um, a man named McDonald's ha- McDonald Hastings points out that Briggs was an experienced captain and asks whether he would have affected a panicked abandonment. So if the Mary Celeste had blown her timbers, and this is quotes, she would still have been a better bet for survival than the ship's lifeboat. And um, if this was to happen, says Hastings, Briggs behaved like a fool and worse, a frightened one. So, yeah. <laughs> Which actually makes sense yeah. to me. Because, like, if you think your ship is sinking, like, I don't, like, you get on your lifeboat, I think eventually it would be obvious that your ship is not sinking. <laughs> like, so why wouldn't you go back to the ship? Exactly, right. Home? So, now we get into natural phenomena that they think happened. Which is a water spout. (laughs) A water spout strike has been offered as a possible solution to the Mary Celeste mystery. So commenters generally agree that some extraordinary and alarming circumstance must have arisen to cause the entire crew to leave their ship, which was sound and seaworthy um, and had ample provisions. So it's not like they were starving to death or anything. Right. So DeVow ventured an explanation based on the sounding rod found on deck. And this is kind of what I talked about. He suggested that Briggs abandoned the ship after a false sounding of how much water was in the um, hold. And then so this also leads into there was a pump that was disassembled, disassembled. And so it was all taken apart and they can't really figure out why. But apparently they're saying if there was too much water and one of the pumps wasn't working they may have taken it apart to try to like figure out what was going on but um maybe the pump malfunction and this caused the false impression that the vessel was taking on water faster than it was 
Um, and he says that a severe water spout strike before the abandonment could explain the amount of water in the ship and the ragged state of the um, rigging and sails. So I guess that's a possibility. It wasn't a storm, but it was a water spout, which is like a tornado in the water. I'm not really sure. Yep. It is. That's what. It, that's exactly what it is. It's a, and it pulls the. It's like a dirt devil in yeah. the ocean. Yeah, so they're saying that this is something that was possible. Um, and, of course, the low bar- barometric pressure generated by the spout could have driven water up from the bilges and into the pumps, which would lead the crew to assume that the ship had taken on all the water that they thought it did, and they thought it was sinking. <laughs> okay, that could be viable. I, I... Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. So, I don't know. It's just so weird that 10 people are just gone like they don't know why they don't know where they don't know how but they're just gone <laughs> like gone that's, off of it's a... so weird yeah it's just, i don't even know so um other explanations are the possibility of a displaced iceberg which i i don't know like they're saying that they were afraid of running into the iceberg so they got on their itty bitty little lifeboat <laughs> um, I don't know. That sounds kind of weak. So yeah, hydrogeographical, sorry, hydrographical evidence suggests that an iceberg drifting so far south was really improbable, and that other ships obviously would have seen it if there was one. <laughs> so that was kind of ruled out too. Um, right. So Bay gives more consideration to a theory that the Mary Celeste had begun drifting towards the deliberate. Barrett Reef off Santa Maria Island and the theory supposes that Briggs feared that his ship would run aground on the reef and um, launched the yawl in the hope of reaching land which obviously they never did Um, and they're saying the wind could have picked up and blown the Mary Celeste away from the reef while um, raising seas that swamped the lifeboat um the weakness of this theory is that if the ship had been becalmed, all sails would have been set to catch any available breeze. Um, and yet it was found with many of its sails furled. They weren't even up and like, you know, ready to. Right. And then um, I think this is the last natural phenomena that they think may have caused this abandonment of the ship. And it is, and a sea quake. <laughs> they think a sea quake could have caused sufficient turbulence on the surface to damage parts of the cargo, um, thus releasing noxious fumes. <laughs> Rising fear. Sorry, I think it's funny that they come up with all these like wacky explanations. <laughs> like, right. Like all these noxious noxious fumes raised up, and they were they apparently the crew was worried that it was going to explode, and so they left the ship in a hurry. <laughs> explode explode how there's no electricity there's no and not only that but they didn't say that the casks that were holding this alcohol were damaged right they just say that they were empty and then so if you remember i said that all of the hatches were in place they weren't displaced and so it didn't look like they had attempted to air out the whole the hold at all like if they're worried that it's filling up with all this noxious fumes 
they would have opened up the hatches to try to get it out, you know, and obviously none of that, none of that happened either. So, so the New York world, which is a paper, January 24th, 1886 drew attention to a case where a vessel carrying alcohol had exploded. And, um, the same journal's issue, February 9th, 1913 cited a seepage of alcohol through a few porous barrels as the source of gases that may have caused or threatened an explosion in Mary Celeste's hold. Um, I don't know how viable that is either. Obviously there wasn't an explosion most likely. So I don't think that (laughs) that happened, but, um, so Briggs, Briggs cousin, Oliver Cobb was a strong proponent of this theory, even Uh, providing a sufficiently alarming scenario which is like rumblings from the hold and the smell of escaping fumes and possibly an explosion and he's like that's totally reasonable that Briggs would um, evacuate the ship Um, I don't even know and they're saying oh he could have forgot to secure the yaw line to the to the ship and a sudden breeze probably blew the ship away and that's it. They're stuck in this tiny little lifeboat and that's that. (laughs) And they're stuck in a tiny little lifeboat with sails. So So you would think being an experienced captain that he would set the sails to follow the ship. Well, and that is the thing that is really strange to me because the captain's navigational instruments were missing. So if he took his instruments onto this lifeboat that had sails, it had the capability to sail. Um, if he'd set the, the sails and he had like this navigational stuff, like why couldn't they have reached land? You know what I mean? Like, right. It's so weird. I don't even know. So it is, it's very, very weird. So I will say that in 2006, there is an experiment that was carried out for channel five television by the Andrea Sella of, um, University College of London and the results helped to revive the explosion theory (laughs) which um, so they built a model of the hold with paper cartons representing the barrels of alcohol and so using butane gas he created an explosion that caused a considerable blast and ball of flame but contrary to the expectation, no fire damage within the replica. So somehow there was like this huge ball of fire, but no damage. And I'm not even sure how that happens. But um, they called it a pressure wave explosion, which is a spectacular oh. wave of flame. But the air is relative, relatively cool. So there would be no soot um, or burning or scorching left behind. But, again, I'm not sure why that would, like, drive them from the ship. Like, I don't know. I don't know. So, <laughs> so I don't know either. That's It's just, it's so odd. Yeah, so this is why I kind of, like, relevated it to the Diatov Pass. Like, they left their tent, and it's really unexplained why they left their tent. And I feel like this is exactly the same. They, ten people left a sound vessel to get into a tiny small vessel in the middle of the Atlantic ocean with almost no reason at all. Like there's zero reason. And of course, just like Dietlov pass, they all obviously did not make it. And the only difference is we 
they never found their bodies. So they have no idea what happened, why they did it. Um, they just don't know. It's, it's one of those mysteries and people have been obsessed with this mystery for, like I said, like 150 years almost. Like they're obs- I'm seriously obsessed. obsessed. I got notes going over here, man. I got yeah. notes going. I'm going to do some, I want to look into this because I'm obsessed now. It's just, it's so weird. Like, so they had some, uh, aside from like the natural phenomena explanations, they had another, like some crazier myths and um, stories. And a couple of those are like, um, the crew gathered on a temporary swimming platform to have a swimming contest and the platform collapsed. And apparently there was one, it was reported that there was one survivor and the rest were eaten by sharks or drowned. And of course there were, there were no survivors from the ship. Um, Another one was Briggs and his crew are cast in the role of predators um, where they sight like a derelict steamer, which they board and find deserted with $3,500 worth of gold and silver. (laughs) And they decide to split the money, abandon the Mary Celeste, and seek a new life in space. <laughs> oh, really? And these are, these are of course, like, people's craziest imaginations, like, at work, that is crazy. At work here. Um, which, that is very crazy. So there's, yeah, there, and they took the steamer and they went to live in Spain, and that's that. <laughs> uh, and then the entire complement, the whole crew of the Mary Celeste, was plucked off one by one by a giant octopus or squid. <laughs> the that's, Kraken. That's actually my favorite one. I hope it was the Kraken. <laughs> I also kind of hope it was a Kraken. At that's least, freaking awesome. At least it would explain something. <laughs> like, right. Um, and then, so, that's those are the theories. And then, so Sir Arthur Conan Doyle made this really famous when he um, he spun a tale of an ex-slave who hated white men and ended up killing the whole entire crew except one who had these magical charms and um, apparently the men sailed to the sh- to the shore of West Africa and lived their lives happy as can be and like so that was a story that was actually printed in um, like a magazine by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and of course you could probably go and find that and read it. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. (laughs) Um, But he used the Mary Celeste as the basis of that story, obviously because it's so mysterious and they just don't know what the heck happened to it. So yeah, that's pretty much it. And I think no matter what the theories are, we all can agree that something happened that drove these people to abandon their, their boat. And sadly, I think, the wife and the daughter are like that's the worst part for me because it's like it's so sad like the boy lost his mom and his sister and his dad all in one go and it's like it's too right, sad that it's is very sad. it's it's very sad well and then of course i don't know it's these kind of mysteries just are like ah i just want to like well and it's just like it's just like die to have passed like we will never know what happened and like I understand it's not as exciting as Die to Have Pass, but I think that, like, the the idea of coming across, like, a ghost ship, if you will, just floating in the water with no crew, like, that is something that's literally, like, endured for centuries 
even before this and after this where people are obsessed with this idea of like a ghost ship you know and this right. was an actual ghost ship it was a ship sailing around by itself basically right and uh yeah 10 people gone they don't know what happened to them and I wanna. I'm gonna do some research. I'm gonna see what happened to the Maria Celeste. Um. Yeah. Okay. After it became that one, because there is like a additional. I got a lot of my information from Wikipedia and then the Smithsonian website. So a lot of. Um, sorry, not a lot of there. There is more about like the future, and I actually read some of it. And I'm pretty sure that the next captain that captained the the Mary Celeste or the Maria Celeste because they did change the name eventually. Um, apparently, he did do this whole scam um, for insurance fraud. So he actually did, like, run the ship aground with cargo and then they he tried to, like, claim the money from the insurance and he was actually caught. So I, I'm not exactly sure what happened with him, but um, I don't... This ship should have never been a ship. I'm yeah, I think, like, like from the very beginning it was kind of like ooh it's not a very good like it's not very auspicious to like sink a ship and then <laughs> like um it changed hands a bunch of times and like i don't know it's just it seems like it was kind it's, of cursed i don't know i agree i mean like and i believe that there could be cursed objects you know yeah no totally or i mean maybe it was not necessarily the sh- well, it probably was the ship. Like, if so many people had a ton of trouble with this ship, I feel like it was probably the ship. So, like... I think it was. I, I don't it was know. The ship. I don't know. But that's my little story about the Mary Celeste. I freaking loved it. It's good. Now I'm all obsessed. It was a very... It was a... It snuck up on you in, in its mystery. Because <laughs> you're like, yes. oh, well, this is just a nice little history of a ship, which I actually love ships. I'm obsessed with, like, I've never even been on, like, an actual ship, but I want to go sailing really bad. <laughs> so. I know. Plus, this was something so, like, unnatural. I mean, it's natural because it's the ocean, but there's something about the ocean that is unnatural. Well, I mean, right, exactly. And, like, with this story, if it had been, you know, they they said that a huge wave came and knocked everybody off board, like, I could live with that, you know? Like, it's a ship right. in the middle of the ocean. Shit happens. But it it was just, to- they just can't, they don't know what happened. They have no idea why they would leave. And that's what really, like, is like, ooh, why'd they do it? <laughs> like, yeah. Why? What is the reason to get off the ship? I mean, if there was an explosion, I can see that. You know what I mean? But, for one, the alcohol is not going to be the same as butane. Right. You know what I mean? So, even if you created... Okay, to create an experiment or to come up with a theory, you have to use the exact same situation and create the same set of circumstances. Or else, to me, it's bullshit. And then, also, I can't help thinking that if it was... Because there was no scorch marks, there wasn't any evidence of burning. So if this was the case, that this weird fireball happened, it was in the hold, and all the holds were sealed. So it didn't start a fire. So would the crew have even known about it, other than, like, I'm sure it made a noise if this actually did happen. But, like, 
it's not something that you can anticipate happening in my mind. Like, you can't think, like, oh, it's going to explode. You know what I mean? Right. So, if it did happen, it would have happened and been done and over with. So, I don't know. Right. And as a person with sense, I would have been, like, open the hold and see what the hell is going on in there. Yeah, exactly. And notice that there's nothing going on in there. Right. And then you would be back to the original point you have no reason to leave the ship <laughs> like, right exactly it's i don't know i don't know but my mind i want to turn everything into supernatural so <laughs> no yeah it was a like i said i i like the crack in theory or you know that's For just real. me though but i i don't hope a baby was eaten by a kraken but everybody else no, the, the baby's living happily in the ocean with the kraken oh the kraken raised it as its own it's a baby yes. kraken. Aww. It's a baby kraken now. <laughs> That's messed up. <laughs> I think a baby kraken would be cute. <laughs> I also, I'm obsessed with like squids and octopuses. I think they're so cool. But they're octopi, Rebecca. Octopi. Sorry. Octopi. Octopus and octopi. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not very smart. We've already deduced this. Yes, you this. are. No, we have not. Shut your yes, mouth. we did. We said we're both dumb. Well, I didn't mean dumb in like in an actual like traditional sense. I just meant like oh, we're weirdos. We are, yeah, we're weirdos. We're dorky. We are dorky. We're, we're nerds. nerds. <laughs> Definitely nerds. <laughs> and it's nerdy that we just said we're nerds at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> So now we're twinsy nerds. <laughs> Twinny. <laughs> oh Lord, we need help. Okay, I know. we do. <laughs> Actually, I don't want help. I don't need help. I'm fine the way I, I like am. like how I am. Yeah, I, I also like the way I am. Um. Yeah. So that was my story, and I liked it. It was really good. It's not. I it, love the mystery ones. It's not, I, I love, I like a good mystery also because I like trying to figure out like what could have happened to these people on this. I actually have no idea what could have happened to them. Um, so I don't know, <laughs> but I don't right. Know. Well, see me, I like to like, I like to try to figure it out from every different angle. Yeah. Like from science and like theory. I like the, like, I like the theories cause I'm like, that's a bullshit theory. Yeah. And so I like to like, like dismiss them you know yeah but like i want to try to find a paranormal bend to it i always like, do that's what too. i want i'm like what what could I'm... this be really right because anything not normal or anything that cannot be proven by science is therefore in definition paranormal that's true and i think this could be almost paranormal because look i don't know there is no explanation in my mind so there is no scientific explanation. There's been so many of them that none of them, they kind of like cancel out each other. Exactly. Right. So. Nothing quite fits like to a sane person. Anyway, <laughs> maybe the captain right. did completely lose his mind. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> maybe he did, but why would he take the, but where, where did the freaking the lifeboat go then? Well, he would have no need for a lifeboat if he decided he was going to kill everybody on board. Yeah. And then off himself. Like, there's no need for a lifeboat. What are you going to do with the lifeboat? There's no life on board. <laughs> Unless he took the lifeboat to off himself. I don't know. 
But I'm not sure he could even even use the lifeboat alone. I'm not sure how hard it is, but... Oh, I'm guaranteeing that's made out of wood. It has sails. It has masts. They're extremely heavy. He is not going to be able to lower the lifeboat by himself. Yeah, he probably couldn't have launched it by himself. I agree with that, so <laughs> I don't know. Right. I, I don't know. It's I like this case, though. I'm going to read about it now because I like to read about things like this. See, I don't think it was a bad one for... This was actually really spur of the moment to all of our listeners out there. I had no idea that I was even going to be doing this yesterday, so... <laughs> this was completely spur of the moment, but I think it was all right. It was a good one. I like it. I didn't I didn't get the same feelings that I got from, like, the Diatlov Pass. And then after doing your doppelganger one, I feel like, oh, this is like, wah, wah. <laughs> but... That's, that's how I okay. felt. Well, that's how I felt when I did mine. <laughs> like last week, I did mine. Bef- no, you did Diet Law Pass before I did mine, and that's kind of how I felt when I did mine. And uh, what was mine last week? It was the Har- the <laughs> Harrisburg. Oh, the ha- Harrisburg State Hospital. That's yeah. right. Go and watch Which that in one. Itself is a creepy place. Yes, that was that place is fantastic. Yes, I honestly want to buy it. Um, but that's kind of how I felt when I did Harrisburg, and I was like, well, now my, my asylum just seems, like, dumb, <laughs> especially after Diet Law Pass. Listen, that is the feeling I'm having right now after Doppelgangers, so <laughs> we're even. <laughs> okay. Even Steven. If you, if you want to call it that, I think this was a really great case. It's, I think it's interesting, so um, y'all watch it. Go watch other ones. Watch the doppelganger, especially because you're going to be freaked out about, like I said before. And um, watch all of our other bi- videos. We have a few up, so there's a, lots yes, of please. enjoyment pending. And I think um, maybe I shouldn't mention it now, but I'm gonna. We are working on making these into actual podcasts that you can listen on other platforms, so you don't have to just go to YouTube all the time. So um, I think that's our goal eventually. So. Yes, listen so you guys can listen to them and take us on the go. Exactly. We're on the go. And of course, yeah, play us. You got an hour where you don't have to do anything but listen to the soothing tones of Tristan and Rebecca. (laughs) Our dulcet tones. That's right. Our dulcet tones. Anyway. Um, Yes, uh, and I would like to mention that on Halloween night, we are going to be having a live show, yes. which I'm so excited about. I'm super um, excited. We are going to be in costume, and we are going to do it upright, because it's Halloween, man. Yes. I might have a yes. couple of drinks. I don't know. <laughs> you should. It's Halloween. Because we're going to be live, so it's going to be quite interesting, I think. <laughs> I believe it is also going to be interesting. Um, yeah. No editing. Yeah, so anything could happen, really. <laughs> anything could happen. It's going to be quite a night. It, <laughs> it's going to be fun. I mean, who doesn't want to talk about scary, spooky things on Halloween? Yes. And I know that um, we have talked about it and we're working on making it really as spooky as we can because, yes, that is the whole goal of Halloween, I think, is to be scared. So. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's my favorite time of year. Yeah. So I I'm going to have like a... Season. A big bowl of candy right here and like some drinks right here and then candles. And I'm going to be eating candy and drinking (laughs) and being terrified out of my wits. That is my plan. (laughs) I like it. Yes. It'll work for me. Hopefully y'all, we get more followers first. (laughs) 
And hopefully yes. everybody that has subscribed, which thank you so much, and follows us on um, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, thank you so much. And hopefully you guys are going to join us then. And hopefully you go and watch all of our videos and make sure you subscribe and hit that notification bell so that you can enjoy all of our content when it comes out. You don't have to go and search for us. We're going to just be right there in your faces. That's right. That's where we like to be. In, in your, your face. face. Oh my gosh, Tristan. Stop now. <laughs> <laughs> that is not rehearsed, people listening. That is completely <laughs> off the cuff. I don't know what's going on with us today, but that's what it is. <laughs> oh, you would think that we'd already been drinking, and we have not. <laughs> I have not had a drink in quite some time. <laughs> I have not had a drink in a couple days. Well, but... there you go. We're both sober as can be, so there you go. <laughs> Yes, Maybe we're uh, but follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Our links are going to be in the description. Yep. Join um, those other cool peeps that already follow us. That's right. We have great content on Instagram and on Facebook. And I really want you guys to come and check it out because it's great. It's yes. really good content. Yes. You follow us now or suffer the consequences. Yes. And that is not Definitely. a threat. That's a promise. It could be if you wanted it to. It's a promise. Okay. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to stop freaking everybody out. And I'm going to say um, we're out. And uh, I'll catch you all on the flip side. And you all stay creepy. That's right. Peace.